Welcome to the Broken Pie Chart Podcast, episode 133. I'm your host, Eric Moore, and this week we have a very special guest back for appearance number two. It's Marcel Benjamin. He is a fixed income strategist in the Spider ETF fixed income group, supporting the distribution of the firm's bond ETFs. And prior to to joining SSGA, uh, State Street Global Advisors, that is, uh, Marcel was an investment strategist at Swiss Re. Uh, also, prior to uh, to that, he's a portfolio manager and trader at Guggenheim Partners Asset Management, began his career in fixed income portfolio management and advisory at BlackRock, uh, in addition to holding a uh, undergraduate degree from Penn, also has an MBA from Columbia Business School, and is a CFA charter holder. And so, uh, Marcel, thanks uh, for coming back on. Welcome back on. You made it back. Episode number two. Thank you. It's uh, it's a treat. Thank you for having me. Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to this episode because we got great feedback on the first one, and we I'll link to it in the show notes if you haven't caught that yet. Uh, Marcel gave a, a sort of a masterclass in high yield fixed income, and so I, I encourage everybody to listen to that. And hopefully, we'll do the same with. With this episode, Marcel, I know with an inflation uh, in the news and, you know, I, I separately address that. We won't really talk about directionally what inflation will do on this podcast. But a lot of people are looking at treasury inf- uh, uh, or tips, uh, treasury inflation protection. I couldn't think of the, the word for a second, bonds. But also we're in a very low yield world right now, which has some additional sensitivity to interest rates. And so really, uh, Marcel, I, I, I guess I want to start there. And I think sometimes it's one of those things that's a little misunderstood when we think about duration. Uh, you and I think about it, and you especially being an expert in the fixed income world, think about duration as sensitivity to, to changes in interest rates, not necessarily the maturity. So maybe we start there, Marcel, like talk us through how does the coupon, well, I, actually, let me not talk. Let me just let you talk. Take us through w- what this means with duration and sensitivity. Sure. So, um, you know, when you think about a bond, uh, the bond is typically just a series of cash flows. Right, it's a bond is a, is a note, a loan, of sorts, and um, you know, as the owner of a bond, you have a series of cash flows that you expect to uh, receive. And typically, those are known. Um, there's some there's some reasons which we won't get into about why you may not get those cash flows when you expect them. But for the most part, if you think about a treasury bond, you expect to get a coupon, typically semi annually. Twice a year, of course, it could be more frequently depending on the structure of the security. But for a treasury bond, twice a year, it'll pay you a coupon. You know what that coupon will be. And then at maturity, you'll get your principal back. Um, so with, with respect to duration, duration is price risk or price sensitivity. And for most of the fixed income universe, it tends to be the, the main risk factor Um and of course, there are other risk factors for, for different types of securities. Um, but in the treasury market, this tends to be uh, the main risk factor. Um, and so if you think about a 10-year treasury bond, um, a 10-year treasury bond, 10-year because it matures in, in 10 years, 
the current on-the-run 10-year Treasury bond, meaning the one that the market is now thinking of as, as the main 10-year Treasury bond because the, the, the government is constantly issuing. And in, 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 within a month or a few months, there will be another on-the-run Treasury bond. But currently, it's the Treasury bond that matures in August of 2031. So it's, it's uh, actually um, slightly less than 10 years to maturity, about a month less than 10 years to maturity. It pays a coupon of one and a quarter. Um, and so I believe they're issuing monthly. So I believe that's going to change soon, um, monthly or quarterly. I don't, I don't know off the top of my head, but this bond was issued a month ago. It was issued on August 16th. And this is the on-the-run treasury bond. So if you think about what the duration of this security is, it, it, it matures in 10 years. Um, you know, depending on your analytical provider, the duration is about 9.3, let's call it. And so why is it 9.3? Well, most, and what does that 9.3 represent? So most of the risk around the cash flows here is when you get your, your principal back because it's only paying one and a quarter percent along the way. So you're not getting a lot of cash flows between now and maturity as it relates to the principal. Um, when those coupon payments tend to be a bit higher, you will see that the duration is less and you have to think about this kind of like the fulcrum of a seesaw. If you if you think about when you get the cash flows um, along the way uh, over the life of holding this security, if you have higher coupon payments, the fulcrum of the seesaw will be pulled to the left. Um, for a zero coupon bond, the bond that pays no coupons and just matures, um, just pays the principal back in maturity, that typically you do see that the maturity and the duration are identical. So a 10-year zero-coupon bond has a duration of 10. So what does that duration number mean? What does 9 or 10 mean? Well, it means that if interest rates rise 100 basis points or 1%, a basis point is 1 one-hundredth of a percent, then you will lose in price that 9 or 10, 9%, 10%. So today, that treasury bond that I just described that was issued um, typically at par, so it was issued, um, uh, actually it was issued at a discount to par, it was issued at 99 and change when it was issued um, in August, uh, it's still trading around 99, it's actually trading around 99 and three quarters, but if interest rates rose 100 basis points today, then you would lose 9.3% of that price. And in a bond that's trading at 99 and three quarters, let's just call it 100, that bond would go from 99 and three quarters to 91 and change. Uh, sorry, 90. Yeah, 90 and change. Um, and so that's your risk. It's your price risk. Bonds can lose price. And the bond will still mature at par, assuming, you know, obviously it's treasury bond, so it's about as riskless as you can get. But you will suffer that price hit today. And then over time, the bond will the price will slowly accrete back to par because the bond should mature at par. So um, it's kind of a long answer, Derek, but I did want to go through that step by step. No, I, th I think that's great. And one of the things I think it's important as, as I'm listening to you and, and picking things up here is with rates as low as they've been, it's a situation where duration goes up. And so maybe, you know, we'll touch on that a little bit. And, and one of the things, points I wanted to come back to on this too, is you talked about a series of cash flows. 
And, you know, just thinking about a 1% 30-year bond, that means on one bond, $1,000 par value. I mean, over 30 years, pretty much you collect $300 in coupon payments. At 10%, you collect 3000 So literally on a, on a 30-year bond at 1%, you know, you won't even, you'll get 30% of your par value in coupon payments as opposed to, you know, three times your, uh, your coupon payment. So does that play into it as well with the, the sort of the calculus around duration? Yeah. So the, uh, the on the run 30 year treasury bond matures in 2051. Uh, it pays a coupon of 2%. The duration there is about 22 and three quarters, let's call it 23. Um, but uh, 30 year treasury bonds are quite risky because if interest rates rise uh, 100 basis points, which of course they can, not instantaneously, that's obviously a rare event, but over the course of six months or a year, it's certainly possible. Uh, and that bond today is trading at a 103, 103 and a half. You will lose. Um, you will lose. You know, twenty percent. Now, there's something we didn't talk, touch on called convexity, which is an adjustment that will help help dampen some of that. And and long treasury bonds do have a lot of convexity. And um, I'm not sure if we want to get into that. It's the second. Uh, it, it's the it's the rate of change of duration with interest rates. So it's it's a second derivative. And I know when I, once I say derivatives. In this case, I mean second derivative, like from your calculus class. But once I say that, I know that, that you know bond math does does tend to get pretty complicated pretty quickly. Um, but regardless, let's just say you lose twenty percent. That that's a lot. That's a lot to lose. Um, but it does happen um, if interest rates rise. So there is interest rate risk in the fixed rate bond market, um, and most core bond portfolios are are nearly entirely composed of fixed rate corporate bonds. Um, certainly the, the Bloomberg aggregate index um, has a requirement that the bonds be fixed rate and floating rate bonds are excluded. Um, so that is the, the main risk factor, I would say, when you're investing in, 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 in traditional core bonds. By the way, uh, certainly we, we would have an audience of probably two people if we did a, a deep dive into convexity. And, and heck, I, I don't know how to do that without visuals. But let me know, Marcel, if my I was given this example the other day. I said the convexity is kind of I, I described it. Um, I was up near Fenway Park one time in Boston and there's a, a, a pub outside called the Cask and Flagon and people wait in line to get in, in the morning on, on like a Saturday. And then my, my example here, let me know how, how what you think of this analogy, Marcel is convexity is kind of like people go in when the bar first opens everyone orders a lot of drinks and then they order a lot of drinks right before they leave for the game and it's it's that the edges that that curve up they're sort of convex that's how i explain convexity how'd i do marcel no yeah no i like i like that um okay <laughs> we, we uh convexity is also uh, associated with with optionality and yeah. um uh you know if you think about options, you know, most people are familiar with sort of the payoff on, on a stock option. Um, you know, those have positive convexity. And so, um, you know, when you're thinking about something with positive convexity, it's usually um, 
you know, it can be, you can be thinking that that's, that's, that's good. It's in your favor. Certainly it is uh, in your favor when you own these 30 year treasury bonds, because as interest rates rise, uh, your, 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 your model tells you to lose 20 to 23%, let's say, but then there's the convexity offset, which means that you'll lose a little bit less than that. And if interest rates fall, again, the model is telling you you'll make 23%, but the convexity offset actually says you'll probably make a little bit more than that. And so it's good, right? Because that volatility is, is actually, you know, the convexity factor actually helps you. Similarly to options, right? Options do well, uh, you know, all SQL and volatility increases. And not to get too much off topic, but if you own a agency mortgage-backed security, then you have negative convexity because you've implicitly sold the interest rate option to the borrower uh, on the home on that mortgage that you know is is pooled into your security. And so, well, what does that mean? Well, if you are have a home, you can prepay your mortgage when interest rates go down, and when interest rates rise, you could decide to just pay the bare minimum and to the extent you were paying off a little bit more on your mortgage. You say, well, why would I do that? I could put it in the bank. Interest rates are five percent now, and my mortgage is three percent, right? So mortgage owners have that flexibility, uh, mortgage mortgage borrowers, I should say, and the investors who own the mortgage-backed securities have negative convexity. Now, to try to get back to sort of layman's terms, well, what does negative convexity mean? It means you you, you kind of get hurt both ways because if you own a mortgage security and there's a lot of interest rate volatility, interest rates are going up a lot or down, uh, then those tend to underperform. So so we we. We talk about negative convexity as something where, um, you know, your upside may be limited and your downside sort of uh, increases and continues to increase. Um, so, you know, if, if you're faced with a with a tough decision, you know, at work or in your personal life, and you feel like, man, damned if you do, damned if you don't, maybe you could say that that, that decision has some, that's a negative convexity uh, decision or, or or trade, but. Uh, yeah, I, I also think, like your baseball. I think, uh, yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's uh, convexity is one of those things. Uh, a lot of people won't talk about it because it's very complicated. And by the way, guess what? It is. It is, as you said, it's sort of a another derivative. By the way, to to just thinking about while you were you were doing that, I, I went into my uh, uh, quick calculations, and to put put sort of a number on this, um, and please correct my math if uh, if I've made. And a mistake here, a 30 year bond issued, let's say, you know, tomorrow with a 10% coupon, I had about a, you know, nine and a half to 10, uh, effective or modified duration. And then I think at the beginning of, uh, our talk, you said the on the run 30 year was around a 24 duration. So kind of that, that's an interesting spread of how much more sensitive at low rates, uh, just using a 30 year. Uh, is right. That's right. So if you have uh, securities that pay high coupons, um, and you know we can get into why a security might pay a high coupon, um, then as an investor, you're getting a lot of cash flow along the way before your maturity, um, and so that shifts that fulcrum, you know, more to the left, more to, to sort of the middle. Um, and there may you you may also have a security uh, you know again to get into mortgage-backed securities, or just to use that for, for reference, where maybe it's not just the coupon you're getting along the way, but you're getting some principal payments along the way because um, you know investors in the mortgage-backed market, uh, you know even you know by 
you know, in the base case in day one, they know that they're getting interest in principal every month because that's how a, lo a mortgage loan is structured, right? When you pay your, your monthly mortgage uh, bill as a homeowner, you're paying both interest and principal. And so on the other side of that, when that goes to the bank or the mortgage servicer, and ultimately it, go, it, it may go into a mortgage investment pool that, you know, maybe in one of your bond funds, um, there again, they're getting coupons and principal along the way by, you know, the base case plus any prepayments and whether that's a full refinancing of one of the loans in the pools or maybe just as the borrower, you put in another thousand dollars one month to your mortgage, whatever it is. Um, and so there again, uh, mortgages, you know, even though there are 30 year term mortgages typically are a 30 year um, instrument because principal and interest comes in along the way, the duration there is, is you know, is much shorter, um, maybe assuming no prepayments, you know, somewhere like eight or, or, or 10. Um, but yeah, so it's really about those cash flows. When am I getting those cash flows? How much of those cash flows am I getting? Those really determine, um, you know, that, that duration calculation. And in your case, when you said 10%, that's a very high coupon. But it does explain, for example, why if you have a five-year investment grade bond and a five-year high-yield corporate bond, uh, why the high-yield bond will have a lower duration, because typically that high-yield bond will have a higher coupon and, and yield. And so you're getting more of those cash flows earlier. Um, and so, you know, when we think about the, the high-yield corporate market, which I talked about when I was on your, your guest last time, you know, the modeled duration there is really somewhere around, you know, four or so. Um, it's also a function of those maturities, but, but, it, but when you do have higher coupons, um, you do have, uh, you know, shorter durations. Now, the trend in the market generally, broadly, is that coupons have come down because interest rates have come down. And so uh, one thing we see, for example, if I use the Bloomberg uh, corporate bond index as a reference, is that the, the duration on, in the corporate, in the investment-grade corporate universe today, is, is approaching nine. And um, some might say, well, let's look, let's look at the maturities. Are, are issuers issuing, issuing longer-term debt? Um, you know, what is the composition? What, what is the average maturity of a corporate bond in the market? And, and, and there may be an element of that. But I would think that mostly um, it, it's a function of the fact that yields are lower. Therefore, um, the coupons on these bonds are lower. And if I look back to, say, you know, whether it's 2003 or 2006, um, or even, you know, briefly in 2009, the duration on that was, you know, around six. Today, it's approaching nine. Um, so we have seen a, an increase in duration or a lengthening in the duration of the investment-grade corporate bond market. No, I, mean, I think that's a great point. And it, it also speaks to the things we've been talking about is, is the duration, your, your sensitivity to interest rates has gone up at the same time, you know, coupons are going down. I, I do, uh, I don't want to derail us completely, but I, I was just thinking, you know, my, my Excel formula breaks when I try and put in a negative yield to maturity. Um, it is, I hazard to ask, uh, but you know, 30 year bond with a, uh, let's say a zero coupon, negative yield to maturity, negative yielding bonds. Let's just keep it simple. Am I correct that duration is above the actual maturity duration above 30 years or is the match just broken there? 
that, that's a good question. So if you have a zero coupon bond with a, a maturity uh, in 30 years, the duration, I, I believe, should still be 30, um, even if it is negative yielding, meaning even if you bought it um, at a price that is uh, higher than par. You know, here, here it's a pretty simple example. When you have a bond that matures and gets par in 30 years, anytime you pay more than par for that bond, um, or anytime you pay more than par or 100 for any bond that has no coupons and delivers only 100 at maturity, you're going to have a negative yield. Um, but your interest rate risk, your sensitivity um, is, is still the same there, I believe. So I'm not sure um, exactly what's going on in your Excel, but um, I don't think that would necessarily change. Um, you know, the negative yield simply is, 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 you know, yield is another way to express the internal rate of return or just, you know, your return. Um, holding an, an instrument of security. Um, an I got the, I got the dreaded number sign num exclamation point in Excel. Anybody who uses that knows that it doesn't like my inputs uh, for the output. But yeah, I mean, in in a lot of ways, negative yielding bonds. It's sort of like um, you. It's almost like owning an option. But anyway, I don't want to derail us. Let's get to uh, let's get to inflation a little bit. And what I think is a very misunderstood sub-asset class in the fixed income world, and that's the TIPS, the Treasury Inflation Protected Security. There's a lot of moving pieces to this. And so one of the, the prime reasons, well, I always want to have you back on, Marcel, for your, uh, your fixed income expertise, but I, I wanted to dive into this a little bit. So first, can you just explain uh, maybe you know, what a TIPS bond is? Uh, how it gets adjusted. Well, it, let's what the tips bond is, and maybe we can go into, in theory, what it, what the adjustments are that's supposed to happen based on CPI. There, let's start there. Absolutely, and um, you know, before I I, uh, I go into that, I just want to draw the attention of the audience to the fact that um, you know this is a market that's you know obviously you're buying bonds issued by the U.S. Treasury. Um, there is the ability to buy um, retail allocations as well. I believe you know something to the order of you can buy you know ten thousand uh, dollars as an individual basis for um, you know each individual in your family. I, I don't know the exact details, but um, this is a market that uh, that the that, that that is also a a retail market, um, and that the government you know is supporting as a retail market. So obviously. The government has issued, you know, well over a trillion dollars, as well over a trillion dollars of tips outstanding, and doesn't expect um, mom and pop to be supporting that market. But there is some portion of tips, Treasury Inflation Protected Securities, where, um, you know, they support uh, individual investors, you know, buying some, um, you know, much like savings bonds. If you think about them, like savings bonds in that regard. And so, th my point in saying that is that there is a tremendous amount of information online about tips, um, treasurydirect.gov, for example, a lot of websites with .gov. Um, and of course, uh, all the asset management firms also have primers and, and um, information on, on understanding these securities. But let me uh, address that. So your question, so tips are obligation of the US Treasury and they differ from uh, regular treasury bonds, which are called nominal treasuries. Um, they, they differ in, in, in a couple of key ways. First of all, the tips market is smaller. Um, like I said, about a trillion and a half. Obviously, the, the U.S. Treasury market is, is, is many trillion. 
Um, newer, uh, the first TIPS bond was issued, I believe, in the late, late 90s. Um, so maybe that doesn't seem that new. But if you think about high yield bond, the high yield corporate bond market and milking and, and all that going back, that, you know, obviously that's an older market than, than, the, than the TIPS market. So that's important to, to think about. Um, these are a class of securities that are global. So in the UK, they have linkers. There are a lot of different types of inflation linked um, government securities worldwide. And that's something to, to bear in mind as well, um, that we're not unique in the US um, in, in this asset class. But the way that these securities are structured, um, they still have their uh, regular coupon payments um, semi-annually. They have their principal at maturity. Um, but the key difference here is that the principal adjusts based on um, inflation. And um, I, I don't want to get into the nitty-gritty of the formula. It's uh, a CPI. It's a certain type of CPI because there are many different CPI numbers that are, that are reported every month. Um, I believe there's a lag embedded there as well. But the gist is that the principal value adjusts with inflation. And so your return as an investor when you buy this security is not just the coupon and the principal, uh, you know, and, and an unchanging principal that you would with a nominal treasury, but it's the coupon, the coupon on a principal that adjusts periodically. So that coupon could be slightly more or slightly less, because if you have a principal that's, you know, par or 100 and you're getting a 1% coupon, but, you know, in a year it's 101, then you're getting 1% 1 of 101. So that's important to think about that math. You do get a, a coupon that in some ways varies because the principal varies over the life of the security. And then at maturity, you get this principal that is, you know, typically higher and has increased. And that is a key component um, of the total return of owning this security. Um, so and. It, so I was going to ask, so we, just thinking about this, right? So a bond comes out, a $1,000 bond, and, and actually I'll, I'll have some questions later because there is some, some nuances at auction or, or at market, but a bond comes out at $1,000 and depending upon the CPI, uh, it's going to adjust up if the, if the CPI goes up. And then also if its coupon is set, its coupon then is calculated based upon the new price, right? I think that's what you were alluding to in the in the discussion on uh, on some of those nuances, right? That's right. So the coupon payment that you get is the fixed coupon times the principal value for for a nominal treasury, but for a tips for a treasury inflation protected security, it's the coupon on the principal value that typically has been adjusted upward. At, um, at you know at every point when that coupon is paid, now that's subtle because you know these don't increase that much. Let's say if you have two percent inflation, you're you know you paid a thousand dollars. Now you're at a thousand twenty in terms of principal, and you're getting one percent, right? So it's it's small, but of course you know by year five, your principal may be up to eleven hundred, and so your coupon at one percent is going to be instead of ten dollars, eleven dollars. So it's just important to understand that nuance that the coupon is calculated as the coupon payment times the principal. And for a regular treasury or a regular corporate bond, that principal doesn't you know, change that notional amount. But in this case, it does because the principal is adjusted um, as these CPI inflation numbers come in.
the flip side, I guess, is during a we haven't had sustained deflation, uh, but we have certainly uh, around recessions had where CPI is has negative year over year, month over month change. Uh, so the opposite is true, correct? With deflation, you could have the bond lose money, correct? That's right. The the um, principal, you know, in a given month can be adjusted upwards or downwards. There is one very important footnote to that, which is that the government has decided with this class of securities that at maturity you cannot get less than you um, less than the issue amount uh, the amount that was issued. So it's you're, you're basically floored. Or you can think about it as a as an embedded put option, but the government says, uh, "I issued a thousand of these to you, right, or into the market, and in five years, or in ten years, or in thirty years, when this security matured, um, you will get no less than that thousand back. So you don't have to be worried about, you know, deflation, persistent deflation." eroding the value um, of that security over the life of the security. Now, if you buy it, you know, two years after it was issued and then there's deflation for, you know, for, for the last year, and it's a three-year treasury, yeah, you, would, you can still suffer that. Um, but again, the government is saying, we will always give you back that thousand that, you know, we issued it at. And that's, that's important. Um, you're right. We haven't really seen a, a prolonged or persistent um, out of deflation, but it is, it is, an, it, it, and, and so maybe it's not that relevant to investors in this market, but it is, it is, um, you know, a nice little uh, nuance and, and, and benefit of the, of the asset class. I think one of the key things you, you mentioned there too, when, when thinking about the risks side of this, and it's always important for investors to, to be evaluating that is you said, if, if they buy it, you know, let's say at auction at par. So if you buy it at a thousand and it goes down to 800 because you've got a bunch of deflation, um, they're saying, well, we'll, we'll let you redeem it at maturity at a thousand. But as you said, I mean, if you go into the marketplace and you buy this for 1100, there's no guarantee of keeping your 1100. They say, well, if it goes below a thousand, you'll get a thousand, but you still lose, lose 1100 to, uh, uh uh, to a thousand, um, and so, and the the other thing too, uh, I I should have pulled up this data, but I did notice that I, I was watching some of the auctions, and there was oversubscription for the auctions, where the people were paying at auction more than a thousand. Um, so I, I think that's an important distinction. It's a very good feature, but there are things to watch out for, right, as to whether or not you actually get to take advantage of that. That's right. Um, the tips market reflects in investor um, expectations around inflation. So one of the things that, um, again, to contrast it with a nominal or regular treasury bond, is that when you buy a treasury inflation protected security, uh, let's say you buy it you know, at issue or anytime you buy it and you decide to hold it till maturity, you don't actually know what your return is going to be. Um, you need you need a crystal ball, right? You need to be able to know uh, with certainty what those CPI prints are going to come in at along the way and over the life of the security. And so your cash flows, in a way, are unknown. Um, now they shouldn't be uh, 
exceedingly mysterious, um, right? This isn't, uh, you know, th there is some way to predict that and there is some um, degree of certainty that you can have around that. Um, but, you know, if you buy a 30-year treasury inflation protected security, uh, that's when it gets really complicated because what is the, what are the inflation numbers going to be in 2042 um, and 2046, right? So um, investors do tend to prefer to invest in um, shorter maturity or duration tips sometimes because they feel, whether it's correct or not, that they have a better handle on inflation in the near term and inflation expectations in the near term. Now, th this market prices in inflation expectations. Um, and, and is also, if you think about it, because I described this as an obligation of the Treasury, um, when you buy a five-year TIPS security, five-year inflation-protected security from the government, or a five-year nominal security, your yield profile shouldn't be that different, right? Because you're, you have many similar risks. Um, and so the difference in those yields, the, the TIPS yield is called the real yield, and the Treasury yield is called the nominal yield. The difference between those, just pure subtraction for two of these securities with the same maturity, is called the break-even spread. And that's something you can actually plot and track and look at. And some investors like to um, trade that as a range and look at that um, relationship as a range. But that is um, sort of the expectation over that period. Five-year break-evens would be the expectation around inflation over a, over a five-year term. Um, one of the things that some folks may miss if they are, you know, are just casually investing in the tips market is that the tips still have duration risk. Um, they still have interest rate sensitivity. Um, and, and that can be, um, significant, although as compared to an equal maturity treasury, the interest rate sensitivity, the duration tends to be lower or, or dampened, even though the coupons are lower, um, and so that is sort of contradicts or maybe unintuitive based on the conversation we had earlier. The coupons are lower, but the inflation component tends to be a dampener for um, empirical or observed duration that we see for tips as compared to nominal treasuries. But they still have interest rate risk. And so if you buy a tip security and interest rates go higher, um, you will you will say you will do better than owning a treasury security in most cases, but you may still lose money. You may simply lose less. So it's important to understand what the duration is of your tips bond fund or your tips security that you've purchased. I think that's an important point, Marcel, and that maybe a lot of folks out there might be thinking, well, if interest rates go up, inflation inflation goes up. And the the corollary, or the you know, there's a high correlation to uh, uh, to interest rates. I'm protected, but you mentioned earlier, you know, a lot of people don't like to go out that far on the maturity curve. If you buy a 30-year tips bond and you have a an interest rate rise, I think it's a really important point. You've still got that interest rate risk, but but you do get so if if your interest rate, if the change in the bond due to interest rates is greater than the the inflation adjustment, you're losing money. And I think the way you put it is 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 dampening the losses due to because inflation is going up is a good way. But I think it's a really important point to stress. 
That's right. Um, so if you think about the, the real yield and the nominal yield and that break-even spread, um, if interest rates are rising, meaning nominal yields are going up, um, typically, but not always, that means that there is some association there that the market is also saying, well, interest rates are rising, inflation is or will also increase. And so um, the interest rate on the nominal treasury increases, the break-even spread also increases, and so the yield on that tip security will increase, but increase a little bit less because it's a function, right? It's just arithmetic here of the nominal treasury yield and the break-even. So um, it's a little bit complicated. It does get a little bit unintuitive because when um, break-even spreads increase, it's actually a good thing. When credit spreads increase, it's a, it's a bad thing as a bondholder. So it does get a little bit complicated, mainly because the yield on the tip security, the real yield is lower than the treasury yield, whereas the yield on a corporate bond is higher. So we're going the opposite direction. Um, but obviously, when yields fall, that's your friend, whether it's a tips or, or a nominal bond. And so that break-even spread, that relationship is important to, um, to also kind of have a handle on, to understand, to look at that historically um, and, and understand when you're buying into the tips market, um, what is the implicit break-even that the market is pricing in. And those break-evens have increased you know, pretty dramatically. Um, over the last several months, and certainly in 2021, um, those numbers do go negative. Um, typically, when there is a, a sort of a dramatic sell-off, a recession, you know, whether it's 0809 or uh, you know March 2020 or other times in, in the last decade or so, we do see those break-evens um, can go uh, negative, um, meaning the market is expecting. Um, disinflation or deflation, which which you do tend to see around, um, you know, a recession. I started off the conversation by saying it's a misunderstood asset class, and it's more complicated than you think. And I, I think it's, I mean, it, it's true, it's true. I mean, these these have a lot of other factors involved, um, and so I think that's an important point. I want to get to the maybe the decision of, am I better? And 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 I want to be clear. I mean. It's, um, we're not looking to give you a recommendation or certainly I'm not giving, giving you any recommendations on this, but I think there's an evaluation of, and like everything so far, it's a little more complicated than you might think. I mean, when I look at the 10 year treasury yield and I'm going to round off, uh, where it's about 1.3%. If you bought a, uh, you know, a treasury today, you get about 1.3% annualized over the next 10 years. If you bought a tip, at par, um, I don't think they can go below a quarter point, you know, 0.25% interest. But the break-evens are not, you know, 1.05, Marcel. They are higher. Is that because the auctions are going off at negative yields maturity, meaning people are willing to pay more than par? Uh, maybe we should explore that a little bit. Um, dig into that, you know, how the break-even is actually calculated, why it's higher than the difference in just the coupons. Does that make sense? Sure, sure. So first of all, um, in the tips market, one of the things that the government has has done is to floor the coupons at 
one eighth of one percent. So, um, the the other thing about this uh, this market, did I misspeak, I, Marcel? I think I did. I said a quarter point. You're right. It's point no, zero point one two five. Thanks, thanks for pointing that out. Yeah, we're just we're splitting hairs here, an eighth of a <laughs> an eighth of a percent. But um, you know, one of the things about the tips market is that it's a it's I mentioned it's um it's relatively small, a trillion and a half, which again, vis a vis. Uh, you know, the corporate bond market, the, the treasury market, the mortgage market, those three largest components of, components of the ag, uh, you know, it's relatively small. It's not part of the ag. That's important to note, the TIPS market. So if you invest in TIPS in, in a core bond portfolio, you are making a, an ex-ag bet, a bet outside of the aggregate index. Um, but at a, at a trillion and a half or so, um, and and we should also get into the fact that that TIPS have been part of the um, purchase program by the Fed, so that the Fed owns a, a hefty portion of the TIPS market today. Um, but there aren't that many securities outstanding, and so um, right now, in terms of uh, you know TIPS securities in the market, there's less than fifty of them, less than fifty of those bonds. But when you buy um, one of these securities, because that coupon is floored. Uh, they've decided that they're not going to issue zero coupon bonds. Obviously, there's no such thing as a negative coupon, really. Um, but they've decided to to put that coupon, you know, at, at 0.125 percent. Um, but the real yield, meaning the yield, assuming no principal increase over the life of the security, is negative because again, it's the nominal treasury yield minus the break-even expectation. So that real yield may be negative, and then as an investor, you you accept that negative yield because you know that you will also have the principal, or you you hope or you expect that the principal will increase, and then the total return of the security over the life of the security should be similar to that of a nominal treasury. Uh, and there again, there are a couple um, footnotes um, why those yields may be different. Well. First of all, there is some uncertainty, right? So maybe as a TIPS investor, you may say, I want slightly more yield than a regular treasury investor because of that uncertainty. Two, um, the TIPS market being smaller um, is somewhat less liquid. Treasury bonds tend to trade um, with very small bid asks uh, in, you know, in normal markets. TIPS bonds do have um, slightly uh, wider uh, bid asks, and that has to do in part because they are difficult um, to, to hedge for for the broker dealer community because inflation is one of the driving factors. So, um, you know, I've I've never been a market maker uh, in my career, but I've heard you know that sometimes um, they they are hedged with oil futures and other types of um, of securities. But regardless, they 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 tend to be less liquid. So you may, as, an, as a tips investor, de demand. A little bit more yield for that liquidity premium. So there are a few small factors which, um, you know, sort of um, stray away from that basic arbitrage notion of you know two bond, two five-year bonds issued by the U.S. Treasury should have the same yield. One is a nominal and one is inflation protected. Um, in reality, um, the tips market may demand uh, a slightly higher yield for some of the factors that I laid out. But regardless, um, you have that principle. Uh, that you expect to increase over the life of it, and that is a key uh, driver of your total return, and that's why you see these negative uh, real yields at at issue. 
Marcel, just looking at the break-even rates, I know I've, I referenced 10 years earlier, but I had the five-year break-even up on uh, at the ready, and they're around 2.5%. So if I look at a break-even of 2.5%, am I is that a, a good indicator as if inflation is greater than 2.5%, I would be better off owning the tips bond of the same maturity. If it's less than 2.5%, I'm better off owning the nominal just five-year uh, normal treasury. Is that a good way of looking at that? Yes, um, that, that is a good way of looking at it. And um, if inflation expectations come in below what the market is pricing in today, uh, you will have been better off um, owning that treasury bond, not the, the inflation-protected one. And the other thing to think about is um, what has been the range of that break-even? And so I do have the benefit of having a Bloomberg terminal, uh, which is you know an incredible uh, data source at, at my fingertips. And if I look at that five-year break-even uh, rate or spread, and I look at that today, you're right, it's 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 around two and a half. It's it's been around two and a half for for a few months. Um, and you know, in March 2020, it got to uh, just above zero. But at that point, the, the market was saying, wow, you know, this pandemic and this uncertainty and this dislocation, we don't really expect inflation for, for the next five years. In 2000 and mid, late 2008 or so, uh, it, it did go negative. But if I look at the average, the daily average over the last 20 years, according to my, my Bloomberg terminal, it's 1.84. Um, you know, and some investors may, you know, massage that data and say, well, you know, but March, March 2020 was uh, obviously a, the markets were in disarray. Um, similarly, in late 08, maybe we would kick out some of those negative data points. Clearly, um, it seems, you know, uh, it's, it seems that, you know, investors probably weren't necessarily expecting negative, uh, you know, 1% inflation for the you know negative one percent deflation for the subsequent five years back in November two thousand eight maybe that was really just a market dislocation um, and 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 so you you might want to kick out some of those numbers in the data set maybe that would push the average a little bit higher but you know the market historically over the last twenty years or so thinks that inflation over a five year period is around just shy of two percent a year yeah so that's an it's interesting too and. Um beyond really the scope of this discussion. But, you know, when I think about the bond market, the bond market's pretty good, Marcel, at, at uh, I don't want to say making predictions, but the bond market gives investors uh, on whole a pretty good clue about what it thinks about inflation and about rates going forward. Like, and the bond market is is a voting machine, right? That's right. Like like many Like many markets or... I guess it's Graham. Was it Graham Dodd or Buffett? They talk, call it a, a voting machine, not a not a weighing machine um, in terms of value. Um, I also looked up the, the two year break evens, and there mm. uh, maybe investors can think about well, what is inflation over the next two years at any point in time? Um, it did it did go negative in in March of 2020. Um, I guess investors were saying I could envision a two year period um, of, of deflation. Uh, back in 2008, that number was negative six at one point. 
Wait, wait, negative six, not zero, not six basis points, six percent. Six percent deflation for the subsequent two years. Now, again, I think that is a function of what was happening back at the time. Investors were dumping securities willy nilly. There was such a such a need for liquidity, and so that that there's probably some technical dislocations there, some price. It wasn't necessarily investors making that assessment, but that's that's what the that's what the market said. I mean, investors who bought tips in, in around December 08, um, you know, probably did well. Of course, you could make you could say that about a lot of different asset classes being bought around that time period, um, you know, recovered in value. So every obviously when investors, um, you know, traffic in the tips market, there is relative value across other asset classes. Um, obviously, there are specialists who just trade tips and, and invest in tips. But, um, you know, every asset class that needs to be considered against you know another uh, another asset class in terms of risk reward, um, but yeah. So that 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 two year number um, may be easier for some to to sort of think that they have a higher degree of certainty around around making those predictions. But that average, uh, again, twenty years back, around one and a half percent. And so within the five year number that I quoted just before, there is of course that two year number. And then there is the the remaining three years, what we call the three year inflation rate, uh, two years forward. So so the forward um, inflation rate, and that gets a, it gets a little bit complicated because I'm talking about an an expectation that's going to happen in the future about a period in the future. Um, but but that's kind of how those that bond math works, right? If you've got two percent for five years and you've got one and a half percent for two years, that means you're going to have more inflation over the subsequent period because they all have to, um, you know, equal each other when when you multiply them by each other. So, something to keep in mind. Um, you know, there there are these this notion of not just inflation expectations today, but forward inflation expectations, and what is the market pricing around that? You know, part of me says I shouldn't go there because I know we don't. We probably only have about uh, ten minutes remaining, but I'm going to go there. Um, the five year five year forward inflation expectation rate. Is something that's thrown around a lot, but very few understand this. Like we we just went over a five year break even, um, and so maybe we could try and simplify that a little bit, and basically, right, the five year five year forward inflation. Um, can you explain that? I mean, I I always look at it as sort of the difference in, you know, rates starting five years in the future, right? So let me, let me, let me try this first and you can clean it up for me. So the five-year, five-year forward is saying in five years, so it's almost like what's the rate going to be from year five to 10 in the future? Is that a good way of putting it? I think that's right. Yeah. I think, I think, I think you nailed it. Okay. Um, and, <laughs> and again, um, sometimes there are opportunities in that market um, it's not an easy market to to, to play in. Typically, um, you know, based on my understanding, uh, it's really uh, a swap market. Um, investors, um, you know, can invest or speculate in that market based uh, on you know inflation swaps, and that's a that's another market. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, there, there there may be opportunities based on you know current inflation expectations. Um, you know, you look at what is the ten-year inflation expectation today. You look at what is the five-year, and the difference there is the five-year, five-year forward. 
the, the, the expectation in five years, four or five years, um, from year five to year 10. Um, and sometimes there are, you know, inefficiencies in, in that part of the market. Um, but, uh, but yeah, I mean, um, I think the Fed actually does look at some of those markets um, and, um, you know, those expectations do matter. But I, I think we're probably straying a little bit here yeah. in terms of, you know, I don't want to overcomplicate uh, this conversation. Let me let me bring it back. And you, you uh, I made a note of something that you you said uh, very briefly, but I think it's worth repeating is the, the Fed participation in this market. Uh, I think I read somewhere it might have been JP Morgan or Goldman had a piece out uh, uh, that the Fed now owns over 30 percent of the total tips market. I don't know if that's still accurate or not. Uh, but I think that's important. I mean, the Fed coming in, that's a lot of demand that they've uh, they've sort of added to that market. Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts on that or if not, we can sort of move on to something else. But uh, you mentioned it in the passing and I, I wanted to come back to it. Yeah, so um, I do have some some numbers around that uh, based on, okay, okay. on on Bloomberg index providers. Um, so if we think about, uh, I said there's about 47 tips in the market that are outstanding. Um, typically, when these indices are constructed, they begin at one year to the to maturity. So there are three of these um, tip securities currently that mature in 2022. They're not necessarily eligible for these indices. I'm not. I'm not sure if the Fed owns uh, some portion of them. So we'll take them out for now. Uh, currently, uh, so when you think about um, index providers and indices that are constructed around these asset classes that the Fed um, has has become involved with, there's there's a notion of building the same index and excluding the bonds that the Fed owns from it, and that's called the float adjusted index. And you'll find that in the mortgage market. Um, and now, of course, for the first time with the Fed owning corporate bonds in small amounts, you can make a float adjustment for the corporate bond market. Um, but for the mortgage market, that's been really important because the Fed owns something like a third of the um, agency mortgage back um, index that's part of the ag. Um, but in the tips market, too, there's this notion of, of a float adjustment. So if I look at a float adjusted index, I see a market value of about one and a quarter trillion. And if I look at the index that isn't float adjusted, I see um, a little bit more than 1.7 trillion. And so that would imply to me uh, 450 billion or so, maybe almost half a trillion dollars um, is owned by the Fed today. Uh, and wow. of course that adjusts periodically um, you know, these numbers might be a little stale, right? The, the, the market value of the index is, is adjusted and, and, and reweighted and all that. But um, yeah, they, they've, they've participated in, in that market. Um, it makes sense because if they're owning treasuries, um, you know, these are also similarly, similar risk-wise. Um, they're not going to take on, um, you know, a lot more risk. In, in the tips market in terms of you know default risk as i would as i would characterize it there's different types of risk but they're not taking on uh, incremental default risk by by, in, by investing in a, in a part of the treasury market um like tips and um and uh you know they have taken more risk by investing in the agency mortgage back market although if you think about those government sponsored entities Freddie mac fannie mae and, and Ginnie mae that are you know 
two of those are one of those is owned by the government, I believe, or 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 implicitly guaranteed or explicitly guaranteed. This that would be Ginny May, Fannie and Freddie are in their conservative conservatorship status. You could argue that there's there's limited credit risk there because of the, the backstop of the government, whether that's implicit or explicit. But when they started to stray into corporate bonds, they obviously started to take on uh, credit risk. But um, you know they they they've been buying a lot of securities. Um, the the amount that they own is 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 very large. Um, again, that's also publicly available data you can get from the Fed or, or other providers. Um, it's you know it's over six trillion now, I believe. Um, so so they so they made their mark there, um, and that's a way for them to hold down yields and to to support that market. Um, and and it's all you know it's all around uh, quantitative easing. For anyone listening at home who doesn't have access to a Bloomberg machine, and obviously that's uh, that's pretty high level information that you've shared, uh, I do think the what is it the H forty one or H dot four one Fed balance sheet. You might uh, at least point in the in the direction if you if you Google that, you might be able to pull up the uh, uh, the Fed balance sheet. They do publish. Is their activity in the in their reverse repo market of late as well? So, um, I think that's the one, Marcel. I, I'm doing it from memory, but I, I think that that's available online. But certainly not the information that that you shared. So, uh, well, Marcel, I think this is. I said it was going to be more complicated, and I think it is. And I think the the main things that you know, from our discussion today, I hope people take away is that there's a lot more to think about when it comes to tips bonds. And there's different, knowing where the risks are is always a, a good thing as well. And I think going through sort of the break-even rates and, you know, it's very helpful and especially the uh, the duration. I'm glad, by the way, Marcel, you like my convexity example. I've been, I've been trying, I've been workshopping that for a little bit and people seem to like it. So, I uh, appreciate that, Marcel. Yeah, I'd like, to, I'd like to get back to Wrigley Field sometime soon. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that your team? Are you a Cubs or is that? No, but it's always it's always a wonderful uh, a wonderful experience going out to Wrigleyville. So uh, you know, and I'm you know I'm more in New York based, but uh, I've got I've I've been fortunate to go to a couple games out there, and it's always uh, very very enjoyable. So uh, I haven't you, been there. you brought back. Some I haven't memories. been there in all. Yeah, no, I mean, it, it, I uh, I haven't been there in a while, and I know they put up some scoreboards and stuff, but I think I was there mid or late 2000s, probably, I don't know, 2007, 2008, and I just remember, like, sitting there, and it's like a scene out of the natural, you know, you see the pillars, and there's not a lot of scoreboards, like, you know, you're used to looking around at a stadium, and what a, what a great setting, though, you're right, you're right, um, so, all right, Marcel, well, listen, Thanks again. I'm going to link to, uh, uh, I'll put a, something in the show notes for State Treats uh, fixed income products. You can, uh, you can find information. I'll put that link in there. I'll also link to the previous episode that Marcel and I did. Again, that was a masterclass on uh, certainly high yield. We explored some other subjects in there. And, uh, and this one, hopefully everybody gets, uh, I think, a great education. And it was a great, uh, great job by you, Marcel. So thanks again for coming on. I really appreciate it. And uh, I think we might just have to have you back on a third time. Uh, this is such good information. So thanks again, Marcel. I'd, I'd really be delighted. Thank you so much for having me. All right. We'll see everyone next week. Bye.